Hello and welcome to the February 5th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome. We are already in February, and I actually never thought that we would make it to February. I cannot believe how quickly this, um, you know, wherever you are, I guess it's winter wherever you are in the world. It's certainly winter here. And it's gotten colder and colder, it seems, each and every day. And you have to think that this weather um, causes depression. I know I mentioned a little bit about it last time, seasonal affective disorder. And I have to tell you, I look around, especially in my place of employment, and I see a lot of sad faces, a lot of people. And I can't put my finger on it. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to name... Names, obviously, I don't give names, but I took a look today at somebody at the office, and I have to tell you, I could not figure out if the person was depressed, if the person had a rough night drinking because of the Super Bowl, or if the person was sick, to be honest with you. I mean, because they just looked different, and it's amazing. I don't know if it's because, you know, I have a mental illness that there are some times where. I uh, look at people and, and I wonder what they're going through at that particular time um, and, and try to determine whether or not they, they had a rough night or if they're experiencing some anxiety. It's it's funny because I actually do have a co-worker that uh, reached out to me. I happen to be her supervisor. It's kind of a weird situation. I share supervision duties with this particular person. And the other night, I had gotten up, I'm going to get, you know, I'll update you on my mental health status in a minute, but one of the things that I've been dealing with is constant urination in the middle of the night. And, you know, this is like every hour on the hour. I seem to be going to the bathroom, wakes me up every hour. And one of the wake-up times for me was 1 a.m. in the morning, and I got up and I have this this uh, habit of using taking my phone wherever I go. And I think I mentioned that on a previous podcast, that it kind of helps me urinate. And it's even become a habit in, in the middle of the night. And I'm telling you, I'm going to drop it one day. One day it's going in the bowl, I have to be honest. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, there's no reason why I should be doing it that late in the evening. So, nevertheless, I took my phone with me, and I could not help but notice. One thing that I will say is I do not get in. If I have notifications on my phone, I don't worry about it. I go to the bathroom, I go to bed, back to bed, and that's it. But I could not help but notice that I had an email from a co-worker. And it was shocking because I had seen that it came through right in the middle of uh, me being up at 1 a.m., so I had no choice but to acknowledge it in the sense where I just read it. Now, obviously, I didn't answer it, but I read it. And this is a person who I know struggles with 
uh, mental illness. There's no doubt about it. And that, I know that because she shared it with me. And I feel comfortable enough where I've known her for about five years now. And she has a pretty good idea of what I go through. We actually are on the same medications. Uh, her being on Welbutrin, which is something that I'll eventually be on when I come off the Suboxone completely. But it was it was surprising to me because she does share everything with me. And my office happens to be a revolving door sometimes of therapy, to be honest with everybody. Uh, even though that's not my job per se, I am one of those people who people feel very comfortable coming into my office and dictating their problems to me. And I'm okay with it. I really am. It's not a gossip thing. It's nothing like that. I won't stand for gossip. Anybody wants to talk about somebody else at work, I'm not okay with that. But if you want to bring professional problems on the table or even personal problems, if I'm close enough with you, I will certainly listen and advise. If I'm not close with you, I will listen. I won't always advise. But nevertheless, this young woman who I happen to share supervision duties, and what I mean by that is there's another person in the same position as me at the same level, and she supervises this person as well. And uh, you know, uh, she 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 gets me a little angry, my co-worker who shares the same title, so to speak, as me, because she constantly knocks this person for her flaws, which ultimately all lead back to the mental illness aspect. I feel bad. She doesn't feel bad. She's the type of person is, you know, get over it, deal with it. So anyway, back to the email. This particular person reached out to me at 1 a.m. in the morning and boop, red flag went off right there. I said, all right, she's writing at one o'clock in the morning. It's not a good thing. So she reached out and she happens to, one of the things I supervise her in, she, uh, let's put it this way, she goes into a specific school and she oversees a particular program, and I happen to oversee her and that program as a whole unit. I'll make sure that things are running smoothly. I'll make sure that things are running smoothly with this particular individual who oversees that program. So she wrote me an email, and she says, and I don't have the email in front of me, and I'm just going to paraphrase. In a nutshell, she says, I do you think it would be really unprofessional if last minute I called the the program or I sent them an email early in the morning and I just didn't show up but I did a little extra time on Tuesday I've been battling a really bad cold for the last couple of days and I don't think I'm going to make it in So uh, again I didn't respond but I felt the need to the next day and, and and I wrote her a very, very long email. Then again, I shouldn't say a long email. I actually just put you on pause, my audience, because I had to take a look at this email. And, and, I, and I brought it up, and I'm going to read it to everybody. And this is what I said the next day. And we're going to call this uh, this person, we're going to call this person Margaret, okay? We'll say Margaret. It's not Margaret, but for the sake of uh, hiding identity out there. We're going to call her Margaret. So I said, Margaret, if you're not up to it, just stay, stay tomorrow. Well, uh, well, I made an error. I must have, <laughs> must have not, uh, I must have not been functioning too well myself this, this particular day. But I wrote, Margaret, if you're not up to it, just stay tomorrow for some extra time. God, I, I can't even imagine what I wrote here. Let's see. 
Oh, I see. I see what I wrote. I wrote, Margaret, if you are not up to it, just say tomorrow is extra time for you or something along those lines. Meaning she was going into this program the very next day, and I had told her that she had to stay some extra time than what she's accustomed to. Normally she's there for two hours, and I had asked her to stay for this particular day, the, the day that she was not looking to call in the following day. I wanted her there for four hours. So I said to her, Margaret, if you're not up to it, just say tomorrow is extra time for you or something along those lines. I totally forgot about your last email until I saw this. Now, she wrote me again in the morning because she had reached out to me at 1 a.m. and early in the morning she reached out again Hence, the paranoia is now setting in for this particular young lady because I had not reached back to her as of yet. So, I write, I totally forgot about your last email until I saw this. I saw this one from last night at 1 a.m., but I was too tired to write back. I always have your back no matter what, Margaret, so whatever you need to do for your own health is fine with me. They will just have to understand. That's why we have paid time off. Now... Uh, I go on to write another email to her, and she wrote me back, and, and I'm not going to get into what she wrote back, but, um, you know, she was still a little confused with what I had said to her, so I said, Margaret, simply say something along the lines, it never occurred to me that I have to alter my schedule tomorrow to accommodate the meetings that, uh, that you have no choice but to use today for all the other responsibilities. I told her I would cover for her, but unfortunately I had a meeting. And then I wrote, whenever you feel a certain way, please just involve me, Margaret. No one else needs to know your business. I believe your first email about having a cold, Margaret. But sadly, if it wasn't a cold, we feel the need to justify our reasons for being sick. If you broke your leg, if you had a headache, or, well, if you had a cold, no one would think twice. I'm sure you know where I'm going. We always need to have each other's back. There is a horrible stigma attached to things like mental health, and it absolutely sickens me. I am not implying that you're a cuckoo bird, jo uh, Margaret. I just want to—I want you to use your time if you need it, regardless of what the health issue is. I told you I have your back. People like you and I need to support each other because God knows that no one else will. Feel better, Margaret, and get some rest. So, why did I read this to you? Um, I, I had planned on doing an episode on Bipolar 2, and I actually mentioned that on my Twitter account, and I'm going to skip over that, and I, I want you to know that I'm not going to forget about that. I am going to address that in the next podcast, but I had to talk about, uh, and I'm going to lead to mental health and family, and I started out with a coworker because, as you could see, I was very sympathetic to this coworker, and I am questioning as to why, and I, I don't have the answers right now, and I'm probably going to reach out to my audience. This is one of those strange episodes in which I'm going to reach out and ask questions to my audience in the sense, and maybe you can give me some answers as to why somebody like myself, who clearly has a mental health illness, a mental illness, feels the need to not be sympathetic towards my family members, a.k.a. my mother. And, and what 
prevents me from feeling that way. I could so easily generate this email to a coworker, but yet I have such a problem when it comes to my parents. And I'll give you a little bit more information as to why I, you know, if I haven't described enough of what I've gone through as a young child and some of the things that my mother has engaged in with her borderline personality disorder, I, you know, I'll get a little bit deeper into it tonight as to why I feel the way I feel. But with that being said, it's very important that I recognize uh, I have a new patron. And before I go any further, I would like to thank, and I'm going to spell out the name, even though it seems like a really easy one to say, uh, L-I-L-N-U-R-S-E-520. And it looks like it's Lil Nurse 520. She is a new patron, and she has actually pledged to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. So... I wanted to make mention to that uh, of that wonderful act that you've uh, acknowledged the podcast. Your your proceeds will go to bipolar research, ulcerative colitis, and Crohn's. And it just uh, it's just I'm so grateful. Really, am so grateful, and I, I thank you for that. And very important that I make mention of that. So, um, quick update on my mental health. I am up to 75 milligrams on the Lamictal, and I have officially cut down, although I've been teeter-tottering on exactly what I'm on in terms of Suboxone. I I think it's a .65. I don't know. I'm almost at a completely half a strip of an 8-milligram strip, which would make it a .50. But I will say that I, whatever I was on, figure if it was 0.75, 0.65, whatever it was at, I've cut it even more as of Friday. So this past Friday, when I went up in Lamictal, I went down just a little smidge, and I explained to my Suboxone 101 how I go about that. I just take a little smidge off each and every time. I compare it to the model strip of what I've been on. And then I take a little smidge off. So I took another little smidge off, and I tell you, I mean, I don't want to jinx myself, guys, but it's clear to me that going slow is the way to go when you come off Suboxone. And I am just going to continue to taper down. I don't know if my Ligmictal has a, is playing a very big part in this. I, am, I have chosen to go down in Suboxone each and every time I go up in Lamictal. Here's the thing. The therapeutic dose of Lamictal, be it 100, 150, whatever that may be for me, even if I have to go all the way up to 200, which I have a feeling that I'm going to have to, that's going to end at some point. And I think it's going to end probably quicker than when my Suboxone taper ends. So in other words, I'm not going to be able to use that crutch of going up in my Lamictal for each taper down in Suboxone. So my psychiatric nurse, who I'm meeting with tomorrow, we actually emailed a little bit over this past week, and then she does have a plan for me, and the one antidepressant that worked for me in my bipolar was Welbutrin, uh, specifically when I was coming off the Suboxone the last time. So uh, that is the plan, and I will eventually be on the Welbutrin, most likely when I jump ship completely on the Suboxone. So that is the plan. As of my mental health, I have to tell you, I am doing wonderful. I really am. I feel great. I have not had any real 
episodes as of late. You know, the last time we spoke, I did mention that I had an episode. I've been pretty, pretty good over the last uh, week or so. I've had some moments of irritability. I'm not going to lie. Okay, it's still there, but it's very, very far and few in between. Very, very short-lived. And I'm proud to say that. And I have to say I'm feeling excellent. Now, the one thing that I have noticed, and and I'm I'm reporting that it's a good thing. I am 100% in what I would refer to as a hypomanic state of mind. And I've been that way probably since I've upped my lamictal on Friday. Uh, with a little bit of anxiety and, not anxiety, a little paranoia on Saturday, um, a little bit of irritability, again, short-lived, and a lot of that had to do with my daughter. Uh, I've mentioned her many, many times, 14 years old. She really is driving me out of my mind, guys, I have to tell you. She is impossible to talk to. I love her so much. She's such a wonderful, smart young girl. She made high honor roll again. It's I find it fascinating that she has not she has not missed a single semester of school, be it elementary school, middle school, or high school, this being her first year of high school. Every single marking period Sarah Lee has made either honor roll or high honor roll. So I'm very proud of her in that sense, without a doubt. But she is at age at 14 years old, and she's, she just thinks she knows it all. For an example, you know, she had an eye infection over this weekend. I don't even know if it was an eye infection. She woke up. She was bothered a little bit by her eyes. I thought it was allergies. She claimed it was pink eye. There was no redness. There was no, it was more just a puffiness. Believe me, if it was pink eye, I am the type of father that's going to get her in the car, and she's going to the doctor if I suspect that it's pink eye, and you know, even even a suspicion, but it was not, you know. But and I and I gave her specific things that she needs to do: take out your contact lenses, don't wear your makeup to bed, wash your face, get all that makeup off. Did she listen to me? No, she's she's lost her glasses. Okay, so her glasses are lost now, so she can't even. Her, her claim is she can't take her contact lenses out because she can't see. Well, I spent a lot of money on your glasses. Why are you not wearing your glasses? And, you know, she doesn't want to listen. She knows it all. Didn't wash her face before bed, so she woke up today with a horrible, horrible eye. Now it's red. Now it's even worse. And the funny thing is, she's out and about with her mother, my ex-wife, going shopping for makeup, (laughs) the one thing I told her not to wear, and she's out and about with her contact lenses in. So this has been an ongoing issue all weekend. And I know it's not the biggest deal in the world. It could be a lot worse, but these are some of the things that stress me out. She's been warned over the last four months, and it's sad because I've given her four months of warnings about the phone bill and about her data usage. And this is one of the things that we have to worry about. You know, guys, when I grew up, there were VCRs, beepers. You know, that was the uh, extent of the technology. Now we got these cell phones out there, and she's on a data plan with me, and she is, there's apparently this new application out called House Party. I know nothing about it. Uh, I, I looked at it for a, a brief minute just to make sure that it was safe. And it appears that she's talking to all her friends. So it's nothing that she could find strangers as far as I know. Please email me if you know something different. Mr. Joe BP at yahoo.com. If I'm missing something, please let me know. 
if she's on there meeting strangers of some sort. But clearly, she's not always on Wi-Fi when she's using it. So I've given her four months, and you guys are going to think I'm crazy. And you say, how could you give her four months? And each month, she gives me the same story. I don't know. I don't know what it is. And I'm tired of hearing that. And I really am. I'm tired of hearing that. So that has had me a little bit worked up on Saturday. But overall, um, I have been in, for the most part, a, what I would refer to as a hypomanic state of mind, and it's a good hypomanic. I am not doing my typical uh, tasks where I start my tasks, get about halfway through or 75% through, sometimes even a quarter of the way through, and I put it to the side and I start doing another thing. I am finishing my tasks. And one of the things that I realize helps me out, especially at my place of employment, is if I, if I am hypomanic, I actually make a to-do list. I make a to-do list, and it could be something as simple on, as on a little sticky note. But I make sure that I, I notate the things that I have to do. Now, my job is not easy because there are interruptions at times. Typically, it will involve children or adults with autism that need my support, where I will have to drop every single thing that I'm doing and either attend to a crisis situation uh, you use possibly verbal de-escalization skills, sometimes even some physical restraints if things get a little bit out of control. So that could put a damper on what you're doing. And it's not easy to go back to your job or when, when your job is to stop and go attend to that then try to go back to your administrative duties, let's say, or your clerical duties. So it's not easy. But what I have noticed, and thank goodness, I don't want to jinx myself with this one either, uh, it's been far and few in between in terms of my crisis support, thank goodness. So I have been able to get a lot of paperwork done, a lot of administration stuff done. And I'm noticing that if I make myself a to-do list, and each and every time, I, it's, it's kind of like my OCD kicks in. And I say to myself, I have to eliminate number one, cross it off, eliminate number two, cross it off. And uh, it kind of helps me. But the hypomania has kind of rolled over into the household as well. I am doing nonstop laundry. My wife is certainly not complaining. And, uh, you know, doing a lot of cleaning. A lot of cleaning, a lot of organizing, a lot of obsessive acts. And I track it and I write it down. And it doesn't seem to be hurting anybody. certainly doesn't seem to be hurting my wife or hurting myself. So as long as it's not escalating into something further i think i'm okay with that so uh, i'm on the 75 milligrams of lamictal feeling great kids are doing well uh, my son is feeling great my older son junior uh, 12 year old junior is doing good i told everybody about his mri results they have been positive we have a plan to not taper him off medication but potentially have him outgrow his dose something that has to be looked into and decided upon uh, as for a house situation, not my current home, and I am going, going to get into this into the next podcast. For those of you who are dealing with divorce, potentially foreclosure, uh, home modifications, I know it's a little bit off in terms of mental health and it won't be mental health related, but I do want to address divorce at some point in the podcast. So I am going to talk about a situation that has really uh, put me in a very, very tricky position here with my ex-wife. It has to do with a home modification. She is currently living in a home that has my name on it. 
and the house is supposed to be sold as per the divorce decree. And I have not sold the home yet because year after year, she continues to live there for free and not pay a mortgage. And for some reason, the, the, and it's hurting my name drastically. Uh, I'm not going to go any further with this right now, but I am going to get into it for next time. And I, I, I'm hoping that some of you will be interested in it. And for those of you who are not, of course, you could skip ahead and you don't have to listen to the episode. Uh, but I am going to address some divorce issues next time around and living conditions and uh, home modifications and things of that nature. But we'll get into that next time. As for Mickey, my little guy, a little over nine months old, he is almost full-fledged walking at this point. He is at a stage now where he just wants to hold my fingers and walk around the entire house as my back literally breaks. Uh, For those of you who are not aware, I believe in my very first podcast I described what I am, and maybe a couple of times I talked about my weightlifting and weight loss as per my neck issues. I lost a significant amount of weight, but I'm about five ten and a half to be exact. And to bend over and walk around with a nine-month-old it is not easy. It is doing a number on my back, along with some of the neck issues that I have. It has certainly been a little bit stressful in terms of my physical health. And one other thing that I will say, if I'm talking about physical health, The Lamictal, when I up my dosage, it is causing some real drastic headaches. They only last a day or two, and uh, they they seem to be able to be addressed with a little bit of Advil. I'm not a fan of Advil. It it does a number on my stomach. I definitely have some gastro issues. That's probably where my children get it from. Mickey and Junior both have some pretty serious gastro stuff, and I would imagine they get it from me, but just taking... Advil alone, you know, does a number on me. So sometimes I got to weigh the balances out and figure out whether or not I need to really take it. But it's been blasting. That Lamictal has done a number on my headaches. So got to be careful with that. They seem to go away, like I said, after two days. The other thing that I've noticed with the Lamictal, and this has happened only on the 75 milligram dosage. And again, I've only been on it since Friday. So we have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It's four days now that I've been on the 75 milligrams. I take take the doses two times a day, once in the morning and once in the night. That's what my psychiatric nurse has advised me to do. So I'm going to listen to her. And that's what I do. I break one pill in half. It's a 25 milligram pill. So I'll take one and a half in the morning, one and a half in the evening. And so think about it. If we've had four days so far, we've had a total of eight doses. And I have to tell you, after every single dose, all eight doses, about an hour after I take the Lamictal, I start to get what it feels like is heart flutters or heart, like, yeah, I guess that's the best way. Like my heart's not beating out of my chest, like anxiety-like, but just fluttering a little bit, so... Something that's interesting, and I don't know if it's uh, worth telling my doctor. I'm going to mention it. I I always worry that if I tell them too much, it's not a good thing. But why hold those secrets in? There's no reason to. I don't think it's going to prevent her from telling me to come off the medication because it's working absolute wonders. If anything, she'll just tell me to keep an eye on it. But I will be updating everybody after uh, my my appointment tomorrow. I'll definitely let you guys know what she has to say. So, 
with that being said, uh, by the way, for those of you who have not watched, and I know this is changing gears a little bit, but I just, I wanted you to know before I recorded this podcast, my wife and I, we sat down and we watched a show together and we happened to, we have a, have, have a lot of shows that we like to watch together. And it's such a pleasure to know that there was a time in my life where I felt like I couldn't watch a single show without being high, without smoking marijuana, you know, whether it be out, go and take a bong hit or smoke from a bowl or whatever it might be. I always felt like I needed to be high to enjoy these shows. And it brings me a lot of joy to know that I enjoy them even more without being high from marijuana. So that's just, you know, I want everybody to know I'm still clean from it. It's not even a thought in my head. It is going to lead into something very interesting that I like to talk about with my family in a second. But what I was going to mention is we watched a show together and we watched the whole first season and now we're into the second season and it was a doozy. For those of you who have not watched the show, This Is Us, I happen to love it. I really do. And I got to tell you, the two of us cried the entire episode. We really did. And me, although I, I, I certainly cried because of the episode and the content, but I couldn't help but feel, and this is how you know you're in love with your partner. Because, let's face it, I had an ex-wife. There were times where we watched shows together. Not a whole lot, but we did. And I never felt any kinds of emotion with her. Nothing. There was no emotion. I just sat there on the you know opposite side of the couch, wherever we might have been. Never sat next to each other. You know, here me and my wife are, and we've been together about five years now, my wife and I. A little bit longer. And here we are in bed. We still hold hands every once in a while. You know, we, we're, we're next to each other. We may not cuddle all the time because a lot of times our little guy is in the middle of us. Sometimes he'll fall asleep in our bed and then we'll transfer him afterwards. So it's hard for us to cuddle. But we make sure we reach over him and we hold hands. And I have to tell you, while I cried about the content of the show, what I what I realized is I love my wife so very much that you can't help but think of when the sad things happen in a show, you think of your life without your loved one. And in this particular episode, the the uh, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but somebody passed away in this episode, and it was a significant character. Uh, and, and we all knew that he was passing away, but they gave the history on it. And as much as I cried about the content, I cried more about the thought about living my life without my wife. I don't know how people do it. I really don't. You know, and then unfortunately, then real crazy thoughts started to encompass my brain about losing a child. And for those of you who are out there that might be listening to this, that might be suffering from a mental health problem because you've lost a loved one. And that, that is very, very serious. That can happen. And you know, there are people that deal with that for a very long time because they lose somebody that they love, whether it be d depression, although they, they have a very hard time considering depression, a diagnosis of depression to be based on the loss of a loved one. They will not say it's a clinical diagnosis of depression if you're grieving over the loss of a loved one. But if you're encompassing those symptoms of depression because you've lost somebody or you have even post-traumatic stress disorder because you've lost a loved one, whether it be a spouse or, you know, even, even harder as a child, you know, losing a child, I can't 
imagine what people go through. I really can't. It's, 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 it's heartbreaking to think of how my life would be without one of my three children. And that's what leads me into my parents. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing by... Well, first of all, I feel like I'm messing with their emotions because the last time I had spoke to everybody out there, I let you know I believe that I had written an email to my parents and I told them that I could no longer really deal with the drunk messages and the drunk conversations. It, it was a trigger for me and I I really did not find it to be appealing. And, and I wrote this very long-winded email and I also told you about the situation in which my mother, she volunteered herself to find me a doctor. And I already have a doctor and I'm not going to get into the whole situation again, but I wrote them an email and I let them know that, you know, I'm not happy with their drunk conversations with me. It, it, and until they can stop calling me and stop acting drunk when they call me, I don't want to be a part of their lives. And I thought I made myself perfectly clear. And the interesting thing is I got an email back from my parents that addressed not the situation, only addressed the doctor situation. And my father wrote something along the lines of, you know, don't worry, Joey, Mr. Joey, bipolar Mr. Joey. We're not going, because they call me Joey, okay? Mr. Bipolar Joey, we are never going to, I will never let your mother call the doctor again. Uh, something along those lines. It'll never happen again. Did not even acknowledge the alcohol part. Nothing, not a word. So I, I couldn't believe that. Now, it gets worse because here's where I say, am I messing with their emotions? I love my parents. I love them. And I actually ended up seeing them over the weekend this week. And I asked my parents to come over and I sent them an email and I asked them in response to another email that I had got from them. And I'm actually going to read that email to you in a second. And, and and I don't know if I did the right thing by inviting them over. There's a part of me that was so not in the mood to deal with the constant badgering of I want to see you, I want to see the kids, and I want to, I miss you, I miss you, I want to make sure that everything's all right. So it was almost like I said, you know what, she certainly has a problem leaving her house, my mother. I said, maybe if I just say enough is enough and invite them over to my house, then maybe they'll just deny it and I could kind of just move on and worry about it again in a week or a week or two. That is no way to live. No way to live. But nevertheless, they took me up on the offer. And they came to my home, and it wasn't very comfortable, I have to say. It, it's You know, we were sitting around for about a half hour, and then, thank goodness, the children had brought up that they were hungry, and they mentioned that they wanted to go to a hibachi place. And my father and mom ended up taking me and my wife and the three children, of course, uh, Mickey slept through most of it, and he woke up to a big fire in the restaurant. He got a kick out of that. But, you know, they spent about 187 bucks on the six of us, which is a pretty reasonable amount of money, but a reasonable deal for a hibachi dinner for six people. you got to think, my goodness, you know, everybody ate really well. Um, but they, they took us out, and it was nice. It was really, really nice. And when my parents can act normal... You know, my dad ordered a beer. I, what am I going to do? 
I, I, I can't demand that people not drink in front of me. That's not okay. But the way my wife put it to me is, no, you can't demand it, but you would think that they would have a little bit more respect. Now, I don't view it that way, especially if you're going to have one beer. You know, People can enjoy. If you are not bipolar, go for it, man. Drink your alcohol. If you can be safe, drink your alcohol. Personally, my father is an enabler. I don't think, I, th- I believe that he's a functioning alcoholic, but he's never acted in a way where, other than a few times, there have been a few holidays where he's fallen. Um, he bruised up his whole face. He wasn't able to show his face on his birthday. There's been there, there's been some moments, and now that I think about it, there's been some drunken driving moments where, as a kid, me and my mother had to go pick him up because he smashed into a divider and had to leave his car there. So the man is an alcoholic. Uh, he's done his fair share of hurting people, especially us as a family, because of his alcoholism, namely drinking and driving, which he doesn't do any longer. So at least he hasn't hurt people in that sense. But he doesn't hurt people. He doesn't yell. He doesn't curse. He doesn't act in a weird way. He just stays to himself and he drinks and that's it. He doesn't bother anybody. He doesn't make phone calls when he's drunk, which is the complete opposite of my mother. It's like my mother has a Rolodex. (laughs) The minute she starts drinking, she can't wait to start dialing numbers and telling people what she thinks about them and who she's angry with and who's let her down and who's disappointed her. And those are the things that I don't want to deal with, especially as a recovering alcoholic and a recovering addict, somebody who's smoked marijuana, tried cocaine, sniffed Oxycontin, um, drank, drank five days a week. I mean, I am a recovering addict. And it doesn't matter that I've been clean from cocaine since 2005. It doesn't matter that I've been clean from opiates since 2007. I had thoughts of using again just a couple of years ago, which is why I am on the Suboxone right now. So... I am always susceptible, and I'm sorry, but it's not okay for my parents, even though they're showing general concern in my mental health, it's not okay for them to call me drunk. I'm not okay with it. So now, I want to read a quick email that I got from my father. Now, keep in mind that, again, I invited them over after this email, and I'm going to read this to you. Give me one second. I'm going to put you on pause, and I'll be right back. Okay, so now I'm going to switch over to one of my email accounts, and I'm going to call my wife, wife, okay? I won't refer to her as her name. So, my father writes to me uh, in response to, and I'll just give you a quick summary of what I wrote. I'll read you the last couple of lines. I wrote, once I'm feeling more stable, I will call you both or stop by. I love you with all of my heart. Thank you for calling and checking in on everyone. So I'm playing the game, and I'll tell you, the reason why I play the game and I say those things, because when I'm saying them, I feel it. They're my parents. They're my parents. And am I right or am I wrong? Should I be compassionate because my mother has a mental illness? She's an alcoholic. I am an addict. I know what it's like, and I guess here's where I'm torn, everybody, is... Am I upset because I've made the changes necessary in my life to be here for my children? 
namely my children. I have to say, I would do it for myself. If you don't want to do it for yourself, it's not worth it. There's, there's really nothing that you should be doing if you're not doing it for yourself. That's what Mr. Joe wants to tell you, okay? Mr. Joe tells you, you need to want to do it for yourself. You need to make yourself number one. But my God, if you're not going to do it for yourself and you have children, do it for your children. And that's why I live on this earth, is for my kids. And I think what it bothers me so much is I don't care how old of age they are, when they're kids, especially when you promise people things, and they promise my sister over and over again, they are going to get their alcoholism in check. They're going to get help, but they don't get help. And, and, and as a result of it, they're hurting other people. If they left everybody alone, it'd be great. If my mother wasn't calling and you know telling people she was going to burn down houses and calling child protective services for no reason and causing disarray in people's lives, who cares? Let her be. But that's not the case. So anyway, after I wrote that email, my father writes, Dear Mr. Joe, Mr. Bipolar Joey and wife, we hope and pray that you and Junior are feeling better and that the rest of your family are well. We would love for all of you to come over Sunday. We have a cluster of crabs that you would like with some pasta on the side. Joe, Mr. Bipolar Joe, if you can get me some Bubba Kush, I would really appreciate it. Most of all, we want to have the family together. We love and miss you all. Our love to everyone, mom and pop. So I'm going to repeat that sentence. Mr. Bipolar Joey, if you can get me some Bubba Kush, I would really appreciate it. For those of you that don't know what Bubba Kush is, that's a type of marijuana. Now keep in mind, I told my parents in one of my last emails that I was completely clean, completely clean from marijuana, and that it was not something that I would engage in anymore. So this is where... It makes me absolutely sick. How on earth can my parents, or specifically my father, completely ignore... Did he read my email? Did he read it? Does he not know that that's not the right thing to say to somebody who is no longer smoking marijuana? I mean... So my, my sister, who, God, I love her. She is my best friend in the whole world. And I happened to see her this weekend... We had the most beautiful weekend together as a family. She's so, she's such an amazing, amazing person. I thank God every day for her. <laughs> she wrote, she made me laugh. She, because uh, I, I sent her a copy of the email. And she wrote, Mr. Bipolar Joe, if you could get, if you could hold the needle while I shoot up, that would be great. <laughs> and obviously she's being sarcastic. That was the most disgusting response to a child trying to explain to parents about his life, his children, and what you have been dealing with on a daily basis. There is no acknowledgement. Wow. So, you know, even my sister feels it. You know, she just doesn't understand it. So, I'm a little torn, everybody. I really am. This is it for this episode. I want to say, if you have any comments or questions or you want to reach out and, and give me some advice, I would really appreciate it. I really would. Definitely some tef technical difficulties tonight with my podcast. So anyway, the uh, I'm going to wrap up the episode tonight. It's not as long as it once was, or it's been in the past. Um, 
uh, listen, I'd love to hear what you have to say about my thoughts about family. I'm confused. I'm not sure if this is something that I should be addressing with my parents. I didn't even bring up the Bubba Kush to my dad, and of course I'm not going to be getting it for him. Uh, but if you have any comments, if you have any questions, please, please reach out to me. The email is very, very simple. MrJoeBP at Yahoo.com I would love to hear from you guys. Questions, comments, concerns, any suggestions, reach on out to Mr. Joe. Once again, thank you so very much for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Have a great evening, everybody, and we'll be back in a couple of days. I hold this feeling oh so strong Life is too short